Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Why don't you go with me to Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Joshua 3 verse 5 is our uh, theme verse for this season. And for those of you who haven't uh, been a part of a consecration season before, um, we as a church every year for many, many years have engaged in seasons of prayer and fasting. In previous years, it was called Closer Season, leading into Closer Conference. And uh, for us, we've sort of renamed it, revisioned it around this idea of consecration. And instead of 21 days, we've brought it to 10 days. Um, so it's not because, you know, it's just a little bit easier, but because we just feel the Lord, you know, wanting us to come into alignment with uh, the disciples who in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 uh, engage in 10 days of prayer and fasting leading into Pentecost. And so uh, part of the application for this season is that I would be encouraging every single one of us to attend prayer power this coming Wednesday night. It's at 7 p.m., uh, let's engage. There is devotionals that are happening each day over the 10 days of prayer and fasting. You can access that on podcast, access that on YouTube and online. And uh, we want you to be a part of, of not just praying, but um, engaging in fasting. I'd encourage every one of us who can are able to. We understand some people cannot, but for those who can, would you fast one meal a day over those 10 days? and replace it with prayer. Um, don't just see this as a, you know, intermittent fasting season for you, um, but actually replace it with prayer. For some of you, you can do two meals. Others of you maybe want to try, uh, you know, one to three days of, of just fluids only. Uh, be wise, be smart. Uh, next Sunday, I'll be speaking more about fasting. Uh, in fact, we will be all day next week. And the spiritual power of that Today, as we launch consecration, um, in this 9 a.m. service, I'm only going to be giving you part one of consecration launch because at the 11.30 a.m., I'm actually preaching a completely different message, part two. And then at 4 p.m. this afternoon, I'm preaching a completely different message, part three. So I'm working hard today, okay? Uh, and this isn't the only day that pastors work in the week. Uh, some people think that. Um, little do they know. Um, but I really feel as I was studying uh, this topic and this theme, there's just too much good, rich content to simply try and, you know, preach it in one message and we be here till four o'clock. Uh, so I want to unpack it. So if you're not going to be at the 11.30 a.m. or the 4 p.m. this afternoon, uh, can I encourage you to watch on our YouTube channel the other messages? Uh, listen on podcasts because if you... Uh, only get this message and you miss the other parts, you're not getting the full picture, the full story. So you really need to lean in, listen, and because there's more uh, to come throughout the course of this day. Are you ready for the word? Yeah. Okay. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. We've already uh, sort of seen this theme come uh, in the uh, promotions and marketing leading up to today. And it says in verse 5, Consecrate, then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
I want to speak to you in this first service, in this first message on the subject, the call of consecration. The call of consecration. Now, growing up, uh, I attended and had the privilege to attend a Catholic school for my education. And, and growing up in a Catholic uh, education environment, you're introduced to the concept of sacred space. There are various rituals, traditions, and symbolic acts in the Catholic faith that give expression to this idea of sacred space. Uh, some of it is legitimate and, and biblical. Other aspects of it isn't so much like when it comes to the issue of transubstantiation. Catholics believe in this. And, and what is that, you say? It's where the communion elements are, are the literal body and blood of Jesus. That wouldn't be consistent with the revelation of Scripture, but it's their way of expressing this concept of sacred space to elevate our understanding of the Eucharist or communion. Well, like Catholicism, most religions practice the concept of sacred space. So in Buddhism, there is a temple in India where Prince Siddhartha attained enlightenment and where uh, the idea and, and, and the worship of Buddha uh, really was birthed out of this encounter. In Hinduism, there is the Varanasi, uh, known as Kashi in Islam. There is Kaaba in Mecca. In Judaism, there is the Temple Mount. There is uh, the Wailing Wall. It's considered a holy site. Well, if you go through every religion except Christianity, you'll discover that every religion emphasises the prerequisite uh, of works and often accompanied by pain to enter sacred space. But in Christianity, we enter sacred space not by our works, but through the person of Jesus. And so in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the concept of sacred space is a major theme throughout Scripture. And so if we're going to answer the call of consecration in this season and it be beyond just the practical application of our lives, but we really embrace it in the spirit of our hearts, we need to understand God's idea of sacred space. Sacred space is how God communicated to Israel what He was like in the Old Covenant. Many of the strange laws and the practices of the Old Testament were actually grounded in the need to teach that God's nature is totally other than anything else in all creation and than anything else in the fallen world. And so the biblical word that the Old Testament uses for God's uniqueness is the word holy. The word holy means to be set apart, sacred or distinct to be separated. In Exodus 3, 5, God said to Moses, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. God did not want any barrier between His presence and Moses. He didn't want His sandals. He didn't want anything to break fellowship with the holiness 
of God. And there was this sense of setting aside that which had trampled on mountain and dirt and, and that which was unclean so that Moses would come and encounter the reality of the holiness of the presence of God. And so whilst the concept of holy includes moral conduct, it has far broader application than mere adherence to a behavioural code. We've got to get beyond thinking that holiness is just an external modification of our behaviour in order to try and appease God and, 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 and somehow earn His favour in our lives. You see, in the Old Testament, being unclean had more to do with being incompatible and out of fellowship with who God actually is. And so God, because of His holiness, wasn't to be associated with anything that wasn't uh, reflective of who He was. So the loss of life, the, the loss of blood, diseases, sexual immorality. If you touched a dead animal or a dead person or you ate an animal that wasn't Kosher. All of these things could disqualify you from having access into the tabernacle of God's presence, having access to forgiveness of sins. And so you had to go through a purification process of external observance of the law to be able to access, to be able to receive through sacrifice, etc., forgiveness of sins, but also to access the presence of God. And so as stringent as the laws for entering God's presence were in the Old Testament, they were inadequate. They were unsustainable. They were a temporary shadow of the perfection of Jesus Christ. And so as we move into the New Testament and the New Covenant, we need to look at uh, everything that God is calling us to through the lens of the cross, what stays the same and what changes. And what we discover is that God's holiness in the New Testament stays the same. God has not stopped being other than. He's not stopped being sacred. He's not stopped being holy. And so now what changes is that instead of just a mere external observance, every believer's body becomes God's place of sacred space. You are the sacred space of God if you are a believer in Jesus. So God's holy otherness hasn't changed. It still requires that we are purified to enter His presence. But because of Jesus, purity is accomplished not by works of the law, but by grace through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has access to the Father except through me. And my finished work. When Jesus said it is finished, it literally means it is finished. Jesus has done everything necessary for you and I to enter the sacred space of God's presence. Yeah. What did Jesus do in the Gospels? Jesus went to the wilderness, which was considered to be an unholy place, a place of unclean spirits. He went there not just to prepare for public ministry, but to conquer our adversary, Satan himself. Jesus did not conquer Satan on the cross. 
He conquered Satan in the wilderness. It didn't require the cross to conquer Satan. Jesus went to the cross in our place for you and I. He conquered Satan. Satan is not that powerful. Do not think in your mind that this is an equal battle. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is to try and deceive us into thinking that he is as powerful as Jesus. No, Jesus dealt with Satan through three simple quotes of Scripture in the unholy place of the wilderness. He conquered him and moved on. I want to tell you today that Jesus has done everything necessary for you and I. He was crucified outside of the holy city on Golgotha, on Calvary's Mount, a place that was considered unclean. When Jesus died, the veil that separated us from God's presence was torn in two. And so through faith in Jesus and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we are made into the dwelling place of God. Ephesians says we are being built up into a holy temple in the Lord. We don't need an external temple to mark sacred space because in Christ our bodies are sacred space. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So glorify God in your body. And so the holy presence of God that filled the holy of holies, that place of meeting in the tabernacle now fills you and I. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and will also give life to your mortal body. And so if Jesus has done everything necessary for us to become sacred space, why do we need to consecrate ourselves? I'm so glad you asked. You see, consecration is a visible picture to a fallen world of who God is. 1 Peter 1.16, the exhortation under the new covenant is still to be holy, set apart, sacred, distinct, separate, be holy, be other than as God, as I, Jesus says, as God says, I am holy. It's a call to reorientate back to God's nature. So as God is set apart, as God is distinct, as God is holy. Every one of us are called to reflect His nature. That is not just a spiritual reality that we pay mental assent to in our heads. But there is a literal, physical, active application of partnership with the holiness of God in our everyday lives. You know, several years ago, I've shared this story before, but we had a family holiday in Fiji back in the early 2000s and we were there for a couple of weeks and you know when you're on you know in a different country in a different city you you sort of you know you you relax you're on holidays you're at the resort and I had one of the staff members come up to me and and ask me um, if I was a Christian and if our family were believers and I said yeah I said why do you ask he said oh because I've been watching you over the last week and I'm like that isn't just a little bit creepy and um I've been watching over the last week and the way you interact, the way you talk to each other, compared to a lot of people that I see come to this resort and domestics and all sorts of things. And he said, I, I just, it, it can only be that, that you are people of faith. And, and I thought, gee, you know, even on holidays, you, you, you've got to like 
follow Jesus. Um, how many of us know this isn't a clock on, clock off relationship? This isn't a clock on, clock off witness. Do you take your witness with you to work or do you leave it at home after your morning devotions? Do you clock on, clock off on a Sunday after a couple of hours of worship and the Word or do you take your witness home with you? We're not to clock on and clock off. No, this is 24-7. Yeah. In John 14, 9, Jesus said this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So when you look at Jesus, you're looking at a picture of the Father. When people see you, who do they see? When people see me, who do they see? Now, whilst none of us are perfect in all of our moral conduct or behaviour, we are to be holy as He is holy. When the Scriptures talk about being perfect as He is perfect, it's talking about wholeness. It's talking about the power of uh, shalom and, 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 and the not moral perfection through a Western filter, but the, to reflect the nature of who God is. You know, in Australia, we have this saying, you're a chip off the old block, which basically means you're exactly like your mum or your dad. Every child of God is called to be a chip off the old block. We're called to be a picture of our heavenly Father. And not as a performance, but as a heart affirmation and reality. You know, when God gets close, when His nature gets close, what's not holy gets exposed. And we see even under the old covenant, in the early church, Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives because they lied to the Spirit of God. They cheated the Spirit of God. They said they'd given this uh, amount of money probably to the church, to the vision of the church, and, and actually they lied. They'd withheld some of that back. If they'd just been honest about what they'd given, they would have still been alive. But because they lied, because the holiness of God, when it comes close, what isn't holy gets exposed. And so hosting God's presence requires us to keep a short account of sin in our lives. I've never repented more than I have over the last eight, nine months of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of learning to host the presence of God at a deeper level of stewardship. And it's been a joy and a delight to repent of sin quickly, to become sensitive to thoughts in my head and words out of my mouth and meditations of my heart that are not pleasing and acceptable in His sight rather than coming under the condemnation of the devil or beating oneself up. Just repent of it quickly. Change your thinking. Turn to the, the Lordship of Jesus. Exchange the lie for the truth of God's Word. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a gift given to protect you. It's not an inconvenience to a lifestyle of sin and indulgence in your flesh. Holiness is a joy when you understand that it's to come from a place of the empowering grace of God in our lives, not from a place of external dutiful works. You see, consecration is an external reflection of an internal transformation. What well, as Romans 12, 1 says, it says, I appeal to you to present your bodies. Why? Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a call to consecration. It's a call to holiness. 
It's a call to transformation. You know, throughout the Bible, particularly Old Covenant and into New with John the Baptist, we see where God would raise up consecrated ones, those who were set apart, those who were distinct. People like Samuel from a young age was devoted to the work of God in the house of God. People like Samson was called to be what we call a Nazarite. Same with John the Baptist. They were to take a Nazarite vow, meaning in number six outlines that they weren't allowed to drink alcohol. They weren't allowed to have their hair cut and they were not to go near a dead animal or a dead body. Why? Because God wanted them to represent the purity of His distinctness and His holiness before people, uh, before the people of Israel. You can't transform what you are conformed to. If you want to see something transformed in your life, you've got to stop being conformed to it. If you want an influence, an atmosphere, an environment around you, then you've got to make sure you're not being influenced by that atmosphere by the opinions and by the voices. So don't be afraid of being distinct from the spirit of the world around you. Don't be afraid of looking different and even having people have opinions about you or, or, or criticising you or teasing you in the workplace because you choose different things to what they choose in their life. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the spirit of the world. Some Christians are of the world, but they're not in it. You know, they may be separating themselves in the bubble of religion, but they're still of the same spirit of the world. You know, my, uh, one of my sons was bullied at school late last year because he refused to look at pornography with the rest of the boys. And he was criticised and he was teased. And what's worse is that this was a Christian school where there were kids who, who, had, who did attend church were bullying my son because he refused to choose to look at the same things that they were looking at. We live in a world that will criticise you for making different choices to them. Why? Because it shows up that their, their life and love for sin. Job says in Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. You see, being consecrated means you make a choice. You may experience the same temptations. You may experience the same impulses as everybody else. But because we are distinct, we are set apart, we're holy, we make a choice. I won't look at that. I won't speak in that way. I won't treat my spouse like that. I I won't speak of my boss like that. I won't do certain things because whilst everything is permissible, uh, everything, whilst, yes, that's right, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Just because you can do it or want to do it doesn't mean you should. You're like, well, I want to do it. Well, well okay. Let's, let's, before you act on that, let's look at the fruit of the outcome of that. Often what we do is we follow the impulse of the moment and we don't actually consider the fruit, the outcome. So if I proceed with that thought, if I go down that road where that thought is taking me, it's gonna lead to a word, it's gonna lead to an action, it's gonna lead to a consequence. It's gonna lead, particularly if it involves sin, it's gonna lead to guilt and to shame and to condemnation. Sin will ultimately sting you in the end. 
right? And, and so you've got to consider what's the fruit of this action? What's the fruit of this choice? Galatians 5.13 says, you were called to freedom. So don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How many of us know freedom is a responsibility? And so the freedom that you and I have in Christ is not about us. It's about serving one another in love. I need to restrain my freedoms at time in order to serve my brother and sister. So you, you may, practical example, you may enjoy a glass of wine with a meal and I'm not discouraging that. But if you're having a meal with someone who's struggling with alcohol and drugs and you're aware of that, maybe you might actually restrain your freedom in order to serve your brother or your sister. You, you, you may act in ways that you, you don't, it's not necessarily sinful, but it's not necessarily wise, and, and you don't have any conviction of the Spirit around that, and, and that may be an okay thing, but then in certain environments, you know, I'm going to restrain that. Why? Because I'm going to, through love, serve my brother and sister. I'm not talking about sinful behaviour now. Obviously, that's unacceptable. But I'm just talking about, we need to understand that freedom comes with the responsibility to steward it in our life. Now, the world looks at restraint or limiting your choices as bondage. God looks at it as freedom because God sees sin and indulgence of flesh as slavery. Consecration, being set apart, being distinct is a gift birthed out of sonship, not slavery. The sons are free, Jesus said. And he whom the son sets free is free indeed. Right? Slavery is actually being bound, not just to performance, but being bound to our fallen nature before Christ, but you, if you're in Christ, are to be considered dead to sin. You've been made alive with Christ and the empowerment of God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit enables you to live a consecrated, set apart and distinct life. Consecration isn't legalism, it's loving obedience. I remember one time I had a, a, a posse, a group at the church plant we planted back in the early 2000s. They bailed me up after a service, after I was preaching like this and were telling me that I was preaching law and not grace. And they forgot, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which said, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. I didn't say that, Jesus did. Jesus, in fact, calls us to a higher standard than the observance of the law. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. He wouldn't call us to something that wasn't possible in the power of the Holy Spirit and by His grace. It's not law to preach consecration. It's actually loving obedience. In John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, the motivating factor behind the sacrifice required for consecration at times is not law, it's love. And we see this all the time in, you know, new love, budding relationships. When a guy falls in love with a girl, it's amazing what they will sacrifice to impress her. Yeah. It's amazing they'll start showering. 
They'll start cleaning their room. They'll, they'll, go, they'll stay up late and talking on the phone. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. That goes on for an hour. And, and they just talk and, and they, you know, make fools of themselves. Why? Because they're prepared to sacrifice because they're in love. All of a sudden, what was duty when mum and dad asked is now delight. Why? Because they're in love. And holiness has been given a bad rap. It doesn't mean you look like you're miserable and you're in mourning and you're heaping up ashes on your head, tearing your cloak and look like you're sucking lemons. Holiness is actually supposed to be a joy. It's supposed to be a delight. It's the exchange of appetites of the Spirit of the world for the Spirit of God, from your flesh to the things of the Spirit. Psalm 45, 7 says, Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness beyond His companions. Why? Because He loved righteousness. Holiness is supposed to be a byproduct of delight, not duty. It's not I have to, it's I get to. Because if consecration remains a duty and doesn't move to delight, we're gonna fall far short of God's intentions for us. God's got purposes for your life. He's got intentions for your life. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we unchoose ourselves by our lack of or our response to consecration. Mike Bickle said this, there are lovers and there are workers. Lovers get much more work done than do workers. There are things that you'll get done in the kingdom and when you're a lover, then you will if you're a worker. There are things that you'll do as a spouse for your wife and and for your mum and for your family on days like today and beyond, not because you're trying to just work, but because you love. Love gives generously. Love sacrifices significantly. And the greatest commandment that sums up our relationship with God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And consecration is our responsibility. It's not God's. Jesus has done everything necessary. God has sent us His Holy Spirit And now we are invited into the privilege of co-laboring with God, not just in the work of the ministry, but in our consecration. What did Joshua say to Israel at the foot of the promised land as they were getting ready to cross over into everything that God had prepared for them? He said, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. To be consecrated means to set apart, separated and holy. He was calling Israel to prepare themselves for what they were about to enter into. God's got stuff for you to do, man or woman of God. God's got things for you to do. He's got places for you to visit, people for you to meet. He's got promises for you to fulfil. We're only at the beginning of this move of God. I've had two distinct powerful words in the last 24 hours about what God is bringing. And it's been captured by things like a tsunami of, of a wave of God's harvest and blessing is coming to this house. There are things that God has for you. There are things that God has for your business, your family, and for your own walk with Him. 
that this season of consecration is not about simply participating in a corporate expression. It's about you preparing yourself and us preparing ourselves, not just for the outpouring of the Spirit at a greater measure, but for what God wants to do through your life. There are promises that are going to come to pass in this season because you set yourself apart. We're going to set ourselves apart for what God has set us apart for. Praise God, He gave you a prophecy. Praise God, He gave you a word. Praise God, you've got a dream or a vision for your life. But are you choosing to set yourself apart for what God has set you apart for? Many are called, many are called, but few are chosen. And it's not that God is the one that chooses a few over the many. He said many are called, but we choose or unchoose ourselves based upon our response of consecration. And, and if we think that, you know, well, we're the ones who are the only ones who have ever had to consecrate ourselves, even Jesus took responsibility for his own consecration. It says in John 17, 19, for their sake. Note this, for their sake. For whose sake? Your sake, my sake, the disciples' sake. I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in your truth. If we will do the consecrating, God will do the demonstrating. God says, you do what I ask you to do and I'll do what you can't do in your own strength. Too often we're trying to do God's job and God's just trying to get us to do our job. You know, I'm not the one building the church. We're not the builders of this church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We don't have to build it but He's called us to go make disciples of all nations. He's called us to be holy as He is holy. There are things that God gives us to do and there are things that He... There, there are the things that God only can do, you and I don't have a hope in high heaven of being able to do. Stop trying to break through in areas where only God can break through for you. You do the thing that He's asking you to do. Be faithful to what He's asking you to do. You do the next thing. So what is it that you need to consecrate yourself from, set yourself apart from, so that you can be consecrated to what God has called you to do? What do you need to let go of and lay down in this season? Could be a critical, cynical spirit. How many know Aussies have a master's degree in cynicism and criticism? It's like a national sport. We're very good at it, right? And in fact, so much when other people, groups and nationalities encounter our criticism and our stirring each other, they think there's, you know, major conflict. We're, no, we're just telling you we love you <laughs> when we tease you, you know. But sometimes that can bleed over into, it's not just a joke anymore, it's actually quite hurtful. And it's actually a spirit of the world issue, an attitude in our heart. Maybe some of us need to let go of a cynical, critical spirit. Maybe some of you need to stop you know, watching Netflix late into the night and get to bed early so you can get up and spend time in prayer. Maybe some of you literally need to in this season actually um, say no to a meal or to certain unhealthy foods to set yourself apart to seek God in worship. Half an hour, an hour of extra prayer and worship each day will do you good. In fact, it's, you know, Dr. Corey's prescription for the coming 10 days you need 60 minutes of extra prayer and worship in your life. 
It's called he- you take your heavenly medicine. All right? Some of you need to stop declaring over yourself, prophesying yourself woe and negativity. And you actually need to start prophesying hope and life and destiny and blessing and favour over your life. Some, some of us need to actually, you know, stop entertaining things on screens that are maybe, you know, it's not super bad, but it plants a seed in our heart that actually we've got to guard our hearts and minds and just switch it off. Maybe some of us are listening to the radio more than we're listening to the Word of God. Maybe we need to switch that off and spend that commute time in prayer and speaking in tongues. There's the, the, the practical expressions of consecration could go on and on and on. But whatever it is, whatever it is, what are you consecrating yourself from so that you can consecrate yourself to? You know, every Tuesday, um, and this is not about impressing anyone, but I felt at the start of the year, the Lord challenged me about consecrating my Tuesdays in a day of prayer and fasting. It's every Tuesday, uh, you know, rather than, doing 21 days all at once, which, you know, is a bit of a struggle, I'll be honest. How many know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? I did a 21-day fast one time, got to day 16, broke it with some incredible fruit and, uh, and then got back on. But God changed my life. It's, it's hard though. I get it. It's difficult, particularly if you have active lifestyle, busy with work, and we all need our brains to function. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I get it. But also I know there is something about the power of denying yourself, denying king's stomach, denying yourself things in the natural, in the flesh, so that you can become a more willing vessel for God. You see, it's one thing to say, God, increase your anointing in my life so that I can be more effective to minister to people. And then when God says, well, pray and fast one day a week or one meal a week, you go, oh no, I'm not sure. Well, how bad do you want to be more effective in ministering into people's lives? How bad do you want breakthrough in your life? What are you willing to do to actually draw closer to the heart of God? And we don't do these things even to get a breakthrough in our life. We do these things because we want to draw closer to the heart of God in our lives. I really believe that a lack of demonstration in the world is due to a lack of consecration in the church. People say, why don't we see more miracles? I say, well, why don't we see more consecration? And it's not that consecration earns us the market share on God's power. But if we are going, God's power is demonstrated by childlike faith and partnership with God's sovereign intention in people's lives. But if we are going to represent God as Israel was called in the old covenant, the church is called under the new covenant. If we're going to be a visible witness and a representation and are moving in a greater measure of signs and wonders, it also calls us to represent Him accurately and well. And what consecration does, it removes obstacles that would restrict the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven through us. After all, the Spirit of God is still called the Holy Spirit. Set apart, distinct. You know, Catherine Coleman, great healing evangelist, um, used by God to see millions of people impacted all over the earth. And uh, I was talking to a pastor in Queensland early in the year who was at one of her final services before she passed away. 
And this pastor friend went to uh, one of the armour bearers, the handlers of Catherine Coleman's team and, and said, you know, what's Catherine's secret? How is it that she's been able to start this movement, yada, yada, what, the miracles, all that? And the person responding said, well, I, I don't think it's because of her prayer life. She prays as much as anybody else I know. I don't, I'm not sure it's necessarily her Bible study life. She studies the Word as much as anybody else I know. I would put it down to it's her ability to totally yield to the Holy Spirit. It's her yieldedness. It's her consecration. Every now and then in history, the world gets a glimpse at what God can do through someone who is totally yielded to Him. And to the degree of your yieldedness will also be the degree to which you are used by God. Little yielding, little consecration, little using. God, God can use anyone. God used Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't acknowledge God as Lord, not until he lost his first son. I pray that we don't have to lose things to work out who's Lord of our lives. It's not that God took it, but we don't, I say, God, God, you don't have, I don't have to go through pain for you to teach me your Lordship. Is this helping anyone today? And from what I hear, Pastor Raph, what he preached at the 9 a.m. service last Sunday and today and into this season, I think there's a theme. And I think the Lord is calling us to deeper relationship with Him, to deeper measures, but it's going to come back to the depth of our yieldedness. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platform.